0: Bang, bang, my baby shut me down. It's Kill Bill 1, everybody, let's go. Welcome back to the gruesome, twosome, movie, funsome, onesome. I don't know (laughs) anymore. All I know is that I miss my Ebony. But this week, we're doing a two-parter. I'm going to take care of Kill Bill 1. Ebony's going to take care of Kill Bill 2. Um, So let's get into it. This is one of my top three favorite films. I can quote it (laughs) at this point. It is the fourth movie of Quentin Tarantino, uh, starring Uma Thurman and David Carradine. Um, I'm just going to use The Bride as the term at the moment. So I'm going to just quickly go through the scenes because there's they're very long scenes um, and there's a lot of, of, of backstory with it as well. So our characters that I'm going to be talking about in this are Oren Ishii, which is Cottonmouth, her code codename. Um, and ooh, I'll go into a little bit of Ally Driver, California Mountain Steak. Oh, steak. Oh, my God. That's all I think about. California Mountain Snake, And then I will also go into a little bit of Bill. So let's begin. So the movie starts off with... Um, The lovely rendition of Nancy Sinatra's My Baby Shot Me Down and still images in black and white of the bride in a coma. But the first real scene that we get to see is the bride going to Jeannie Bell's house. Who Jeannie Bell is Vanita Green and Vanita Green, her codename is Copperhead and she used to work for Bill in the uh, Deadly Viper assassination squad. There we go. So many, many moons ago, the assassination squad uh, were ordered by Bill to go kill the bride as the bride was a former lover of Bill's and a former student of Bill's. And um, there's a lot of bitterness there, let's just say that. So she took part in the massacre at Two Pines, which was not the wedding. It was the wedding rehearsal. And so, yeah, then we go back to this day, which is, I think, 2004, so she went into a coma in, I think, 1999, that's when the assassination happened. Anyway, so she goes to Jeannie Bell's house, who has moved on now, and Jeannie has had a child, and has a husband who is a doctor, Mr. Lawrence Bell, and As soon as she opens the door, it's on. It's fucking on for young and old. And the whole house gets messed up. The fight scene is fantastic. The stunt double in this movie, Zoe Bell, who if you are a huge Quentin Tarantino fan, you would know Zoe from so many other movies, uh, especially Death Proof. That ending is just amazing. Um, So, yeah, it's on for young and old. And everything gets smashed up until Nikki, Vinita's daughter, comes home and then they stop fighting and you know no violence in front of the children but as the bride says i'm you know not going to not kill you just because your daughter's here and you can use your daughter as much as you want and i'll still kill you so they make a plan to meet at the baseball field dressed in black your hair all up in a black stocking and they're going to have a knife fight and well that doesn't happen as (laughs) vanita green goes to fix nikki's cereal um, which the serial's name is Kaboom, which is fantastic. And there's a gun in the serial and she goes to kill the bride with the gun. And obviously the bride is too quick and drops her coffee on the ground and kicks it and then knifes her in the chest. And then as soon as she she's dead, the daughter comes out. And as the bride says... If you've got any raw feelings about this in the future, come and see me, which might be an opening for Kill Bill 3 in the future. That's that's what Quentin's been talking about if he was going to do one, um, which I'm still very, very much on the fence about it because I, I don't really want to kill Bill 3. But I know that Quentin won't fuck it because he's a genius and he would never, ever want to do that to two pieces of work that he's done and just completely fuck it. It's not in his nature at all. So after the meeting with Venita, it shows what happened uh, that day at the Two Pines um, Chapel, and it's the police go in and they see that um, it's been a massacre and everybody's dead. And they go up to the bride and she's she's not dead. She's in like this comatose type state. So. She gets put into a hospital, and the guy that runs that little ward, oh, it's so gross. His name is Buck, and he likes to fuck, and he like rents her out to all these creepy people to come and sleep with her for $75? My lord. And, um, yeah, there's that's not too pleasant, but at this point, she has just woken up. Um,. She has realised also that she's not pregnant anymore. Um, she was very heavily pregnant um, when she was at the chapel, um, but she is not pregnant anymore. And also, she's not getting married to Bill, just just letting everybody know. Um, if, if you haven't seen this, please go watch it. It is fantastic. It's one of the best, best, best movies I've ever seen. So she was meant to be getting married to this guy called Tommy that lived in El Paso and had a record store. And So she's, she's trying to get away from the life of being an assassin so yeah so she's she's just woken up from this this four-year coma and realized that she's not pregnant anymore um that she's got a metal plate in her head and then yeah a guy comes in and is about to sleep with her and she rips off his um I think it's his tongue or his lip and he obviously bleeds to death and she she gets up and she tries to walk and she falls flat on her face. And then Buck is coming, so she quickly gets the pocket knife from the guy that she's just killed and hides behind the door. And as soon as Buck walks in, she slices his Achilles and then smashes his head in with the door and is screaming, Where's Bill? Where's Bill? And then she realizes who this guy is and she has a flashback of, of him talking to her and saying, like, you know, his name and what he likes to do do which is filthy and then she gets his car keys once she's killed him and he is the proud owner of the pussy wagon which is the most iconic vehicle that I know well I know a lot of iconic vehicles but it's my favorite (laughs) and so then she goes and finds the pussy wagon in the car park and um drags herself in there from a wheelchair and then she needs to wiggle her big toe in order for her other muscles to start working and then she can she can make her getaway. So as she's trying to wiggle her big toe, we go into um Oren's backstory. Oren is the leader of the Yakuza. Um, she's the queen of Japan. And she's also one of the top assassinators in the in the world. She had a pretty normal upbringing until um, the Yakuza killed her parents. So her father worked as an American military man um, in Japan, and the Yakuza boss, boss Masamoto, um, had them ordered to be killed. And if, if you know anything about the Yakuza's, they are, they are terrible. They are so fucking scary. And they have no second thought about what they're going to do to you or your family at all. It's all about them and all about their power, which we will later find down the track as well with Oren. So, yeah, her parents get killed in front of her eyes, which is done in this awesome cartoon way. Um, apparently with the... The Whole Bloody Affair, which is Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 put together, which was only played I think over in one of the festivals like we we can't get The Whole Bloody Affair on DVD, that's what I'm hoping to happen but I think that cartoon anime, um, Oren backstory bit is extended, that's what I've heard I don't know if it's true, but that's what I've heard um, fix me up on that quote if, if I'm wrong um, but yeah, I love that scene, I think it's fantastic, it's it's such a different way to show what happened in such a different style of of cinema which i think's great because it's just showing everybody what quentin can do and the mind of cinematography and it's not just one a one way street you can you can do all different styles of it and i think that that's a real risk as a huge filmmaker to put into a movie you know not a lot of people might like it but this it worked it worked so well so after the death of her parents, um, she wants to get her revenge. So um, she trains a little bit and then she finds out that uh, Boss Masamoto was a pedophile. And so she lures him in wearing a schoolgirl outfit and kills the out of him absolutely destroys him puts a samurai right through his chest and as she does this she's saying like oh do you remember who I am um, do you remember this face who do I look like and then as he dies all the other Yakuza you know right-hand men come running in and she shoots them in the legs with a magnum and hides under the bed and then after that she becomes one of the leading assassinations oh, my God, what is with this word and me today? Assassinators in the world and she's taking down political figures and she's she's so young when she's doing this as well. Um, but then she, Bill obviously sees her talents and grabs her and says, oh, we work for me as well. And the fact that she becomes the the head of, like, the Japanese underworld, Bill financed that all and pretty much got her to where she wanted to be. Uh, And by that point, a lot of people that were in the Yakuza knew who she was and feared her because she was, she, yeah, she, she doesn't take shit at all, this woman, and I love her for it. Um, So she is, yeah, she's the head of the Yakuza and she's also a part of the Deadly Viper assassination squad. She has her right-hand man, Sophie Fatal, who is her lawyer, her best friend, and one of her lieutenants. She also has Gogo Yaburi, who is her bodyguard, who is a 17-year-old sadistic schoolgirl who is a fucking nutter. I think she's the craziest one in this film, um, and that's really saying something. But she she was actually in Battle Royale, which was one of Quentin's favourite movies. So I think that he's, he saw that and then saw this actress and went, oh, you know, she needs to be in, she has to be in Kill Bill 1. And, and she did a fantastic job as Go-Go. She's one of the best written characters um, from the Quentin Tarantino universe, I feel. And Oren also has an army of people called the Crazy 88, which are like her henchmen who will, you know, fight for her for her life and everything but there's there's actually not 88 of them it just sounds cooler it just sounds more scary it sounds it sounds better than the crazy 54 <laughs> we interrupt this podcast for a quick promo break but don't stress we'll be back soon Psst. hey you want to get doomed I'm Tessa. And I'm Nicole. And we have a spanking new podcast for your ear holes called Doom Generation. Listen in as two foul-mouthed biddies have an always casual, often comedic... What? I think we're funny. And sometimes chaotic conversation about the things that doomed us to be who we are today. Take a trip with us down nostalgia lane and we'll try not to veer off the road. Available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Doom Generation Pod and on Twitter at DoomGenPod. Later, Doomers! We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. We are Cheap Seat Reviews, the podcast that explores the Hollywood film industry for the greater good. good. Join us each week as we dive into the depths of streaming movies for the greater good. good. You can find us on Twitter at Cheap Seat Cast, slash Cheap Seat Reviews, and our website is cheapseatreviews.libsen.com. All for the greater good. How can this be for the greater good? good. Shut it! See, that wasn't too long. Now back to the episode. So, yeah, the bride knows I'm going to need some good steel if I want to kill all of these people because it's not going to be an easy task. So, in our next scene, she goes to okinawa the man from okinawa and it is just this man who is running a little sushi restaurant with i guess his brother or cousin but all his brother and cousin wants to or cousin wants to do is just watch his soap operas in the back and um the bride comes into his shop and says oh i i, know, I don't know any japanese and It's a really hard language and he's trying to teach her Japanese. And that that whole scene is fantastic. They're very good. (laughs) I love that scene so much. Um, But then she she says to him, I know who you are. I know you're Hattori Hanzo. Hattori Hanzo was a man who used to make Japanese steel samurais that were the best samurai swords ever. They were priceless. um, But he stopped making them as he realised that he was making weapons that could, you know that were killing people and that's not what he wanted to do. He was making these because they were gorgeous instruments and absolutely wonderful and he realised what he was making was was hurting other people and he didn't want to continue doing this. I think things got a little bit out of hand, um, but once we find out that Bill was a former student of Hatori Hanzo, he feels obliged to make the bride um, a samurai sword of her own because... Yeah, he knows that Bill's a bit of a fucking dodgy person at this point and has been up to no good. So, yeah, he makes her this samurai sword and says, you can live with me for the time that I I need to make these swords. So she stays back and she stays in this little sushi restaurant. Thank God that he had a sushi restaurant as well. Like, you've got accommodation, you've got your sushi, you've got your soap operas. Like, where else would you want to be? How lucky. So. After he makes her this sword, he has, like, a little ceremony and gives it to her. And then she goes off to Japan. So we get to Japan. And there is a scene where she's just gotten off the plane. And she gets into her famous uh, yellow jumpsuit. And she's riding this awesome yellow motorbike. And she's going to find Oren. Now, she says it was very easy to find Oren because Oren doesn't keep her whereabouts a secret. She's very, very open to, uh, to. She's a bit of an attention grabber. Um, but we see a scene of Oren, um, with her council and one of the Yakuza men, um, not too happy with Oren taking over, or also being half Chinese, half American heritage. So that really irks him. And he goes on this speech saying, Oh, my, you know, our fathers would be absolutely livid with us, type thing. And, uh, you know, I'm never going to let a uh, half Chinese, half American bitch run this place. And she doesn't take that too kindly and chops his fucking head off, which is fantastic. But I think. <laughs> Fuck, I'm weird. Um, but, yeah, so she she makes this speech afterwards saying, like, if there's any subjects that you want to discuss with me, please do. Nothing will be taboo. Please tell me what you're thinking, but don't bring up my heritage. Do not fucking bring up my heritage because I will fucking destroy you, like you've just seen. And as she's doing this, because she's speaking in um, in American, in American, she's speaking in English, um. Sophie is translating it, and it just has this really comedic feel to it. And I think oh, I just love that scene so much. Um, but then, yeah, we get into the House of Blue Leaves, which is one of the best scenes in cinema ever. So this scene goes for a really, really long time, but it's just such the, such a build up and such a such an experience for the viewer. So we're in the House of Blue Leaves, which is this really, really big restaurant, um, which Irène and her posse attend for the night um the place is run by a woman um we don't know her name but her husband as well which we know is Charlie Brown because he looks like Charlie Brown and the people uh in Oren's crew start calling him Charlie Brown and they know like oh if we step out of line if we don't get what they want they're going to they're going to kill us like you know they've got such a big rep- reputation for killing people just out of nowhere so like the UQs are they're ordering like pizza and everything they're just being absolute dickheads and acting a fool. And as this is going on, the the band Five Six Seven Eights are playing downstairs, which a, a great female rockabilly band. If you're into rockabilly, check them out. Um, they're not they're not uh, spring chickens anymore. They've been around for a very very long time. So it was cool that they got to do a, a set. And in the behind the scenes on the Blu-ray. Their whole um, their whole sets there, which is fantastic. So yeah, they're playing, and um, it's like you know good vibes in the house of blue leaves. And then um, we see the bride, and she goes into one of the bathroom stalls, and she can hear a phone ringing, and she has a flashback from when she was at the Two Pines Chapel, and Sophie Fatel was there who is Oren Ishii's right-hand woman and her ringtone is um I don't know if it's not when the saints but someone help me all I know is her ringtone is part of the Melbourne football team um song which is my team um so what a good ringtone to have but she um she remembers the ringtone, and so she's like, "This is my time!" And um, she grabs Sophie, and she goes back out onto the big dance floor of the House of Blue Leaves, and she yells, "Oh, Annie, she! Oh my God! I get shivers from this part. It's so good!" and oren's team comes out in this crazy manner and it's such a build-up to oren walking out and that's the thing with oren oren won't run for anybody if anyone yells out for oren she will take her time like the lady that she is so she um she comes out and she sees that the bride is still alive and lucy Lou in this part she doesn't need to do that much her eyes do the acting for her she doesn't have heaps of lines or anything like till the very very end um but yeah she she just does all her acting her, her her eyes and she sees the bride and is like oh fuck like how how has this happened but she's you know she's got faith she's got so many people to fight for her so everybody that came with her fights for her and they meet their demise but just before that happens the bride cuts off Sophie's arm and Sophie is left bleeding everywhere and it's such a good scene. That's the great thing with Quentin Tarantino is the blood splatter scenes. They're so unrealistic, but they're so much fun. So, yeah, she she chops off Sophie's arm and Sophie's rolling around like a little worm and then there's probably about like 10 other people or 15 other people that are with Oren that come to kill the bride and she does it so, so easily. It's just like, you know, cutting cutting through silk. And um, then she has to verse Gogo, and Gogo is just for a seventeen-year-old. She's she's seen some shit. If she if she acts like this, she's fucking definitely seen some shit. But she just loves killing people and loves death, and she puts on this little schoolgirl outfit and this little schoolgirl voice, kind of like what Paris Hilton does with that. Yeah, it's high, but it's like like hi. But then you hear her real voice and it's really low and you can just tell that this this woman's fucking crazy. So she comes to kill the bride with this metal ball on a chain that when you open up the ball, it has these blades on there and um, she whips it around her neck and like a tornado girl, like it's absolutely so much fun and... As the scene goes on, and Zoe Bell, the stunt double, she's in this scene a lot too. She's jumping from table to table. She's taken some hits. Uh, A lot of tables are breaking and chairs are breaking. Um, Also, at this point, everyone's run out of the restaurant. They don't want to be a part of it. Uh, The cops can't even come and do anything because I don't think that they are going to want to deal with the Yakuza. I don't think anyone wants to deal with the Yakuza. So... Uh, after a very lengthy battle, uh, Gogo gets smashed in the head with a plank of wood with nails coming out of it and meets her demise. And then at that point, Oren calls the crazy 88. So there, there's not 88 of them. It just sounds cool and it sounds really uh, impressive and intimidating. And you hear all their motorbikes rock up and um, the bride says, oh, I thought it was going to be so easy. But, you know, obviously not. Um, and then we go into this crazy, crazy, crazy moment in cinema history where all of these, these Yakuza clans, they come out of everywhere. Johnny Moe, her, like her main man from, from the Yakuza, comes out just screaming at everybody Um and she slowly starts to kill them off. Limbs are flying everywhere. Heads are being um um sa- sawn off. Heads are being uh, cut off. Um, yeah. It's just it's, it's so intense. And it at one point it has to go in all black and white because the amount of blood that was used in this scene, fake blood obviously, was was a lot. Um, and I. think... I think the ratings, it might have been harder to even premiere the film if they didn't you know, put this scene in black and white because I think a lot of people would have been like, oh, it's too violent. But as Quentin has said before, you'd never go to a Metallica concert and tell them to turn it down as you wouldn't go to a Quentin Tarantino movie and say, oh, there's too much violence. You're at a fucking Quentin Tarantino movie. Leave if you don't like it. But, um, yeah, so we've got this this scene in black and white and eyeball, eyeballs are popping out and it's just so much fun and you just think there's no way that this woman can get through this many people and she fucking does. She fucking does. Her shoes even say fuck you in the bottom of the – like when she's walking through the House of Blue Leaves at one point there's an angle at the bottom and you see her shoes and it says fuck you on the bottom of her, her shoes. She's so ruthless but she's also got – The fashion sense to be like hey you know what i'm gonna kill you but i'm gonna fucking do it in style massive shout out to bruce lee as well in um in this scene um there's a lot of themes that are used from old um samurai films that you will see in this film if you have watched a lot of um old chinese or or japanese theater there's almost every scene there's something from those movies um, so yeah, she, she fucking destroys everybody. She's ruthless. Um, I've got one of her framed pictures, Uma Thurman's framed pictures here from that scene signed and that's up on my mantle as well next to my Julyza Rose, my Mitch Cullen, Terry Gilliam Julyza Rose. Um, so yeah, she, she comes out on top and then she goes to go see Oren. And she walks out into this garden and it's snowing and Oren's standing there by herself. And she has this conversation with her and says, um, your instrument is, is quite amazing. And, um, the bride says it's a Hattori Hanzo and she goes, oh, you lie. Hattori Hanzo doesn't make Japanese steel anymore. And, and, uh, she doesn't believe her and she, Oren constantly puts her down, um, because I think Oren is extremely intimidated by her. Um, I don't think her really been around any other you know assassin that's up to her grade of assassination. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yes she she taunts her for a little bit and then they start to fight with their samurai swords and, and battle. And the music that comes on is Santa Esmeralda, Esmeralda Sweet, um, Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood, which is such a fun piece of music. It used to be at, like, a lot of parties that I used to go to as a child, and then I heard it on Kill Bill, and I was like, oh, this is fun. But that's the thing with Quentin and, and his music. He's he's really picked a, a good soundtrack for 1 and 2. They're probably my favorite movie soundtracks ever. Um He could have put anything in this scene. He could have put really, really, like, racy music. But he put something fun and disco in there. And I think it just added this completely different feeling to this scene. I love this scene so, 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 so much. I love this whole movie so much. Um, So we have a little battle. And then the bride gets hit in the back with Oren's samurai sword. And we think, yep, that's it. That's the end. She's pissing out blood. She falls on the snow. We think, this is over. Um... And Oren starts to taunt her again. Um, Silly Caucasian girl likes to play with samurai swords, she says. And that gives the bride that last bit of strength to get up and go, nah, fuck this. Like, yeah, I've come all this way. And she gets up and she says, attack me with everything you have. So Oren attacks her. And um, then the bride hits Oren. And everything stops for a second. And... Wren's bleeding so now we're you know we're both on the same path we're both bleeding now and they run around like this little fence it looks like a little vineyard fence and one's on one side and one's on the other side and when a Wren comes out the bride flips her sword around like a tornado and chops the top of Oren's head off. And her hair goes flying in the sky and then hits the snow. And then we pan to Oren's face and she's, she's still got her whole brain intact. So she can still think, but it's like she'll die in probably 10 seconds. And she was like, oh my God, you weren't lying. That is really a Hotori Hanzo as Hattori Hanso's can cut through anything. Skull, bone, other, you know, bits of steel. Um, And then she falls on the ground and dies. And the bride then goes and sits down for a second and pretty much just takes in what the fuck she just went through, because it was a lot. So... Then she gets on a plane. shes It's funny because the movie starts off with Vanita Green's death. But the first death was Oren. And then she goes over to Back to America uh, to kill the rest of the uh, the squad. So we see her on a plane and she's got this list. It's her death list. And we've got um, Oren at the top. Then Venita Green as number two. Then Bud as number three. Then Ali Driver is number four and then her last is Bill. Um, But as she is on this plane and she's writing the names out, um, we see that Bill has Sophie and we get a flashback of just before, um, well, just after she leaves the House of Blue Leaves and she says to Sophie, I want all of the information that you know on Bill." I want all of the information that you know on the squad. If you don't give me this information and their whereabouts, I'll cut off other limbs. So I think Sophie gets two arms cut off. Um, And then Uma Thurman takes her to the hospital and rolls her down the hill. And if you've ever seen the start of Kung Pao, the movie Kung Pao, (laughs) this reminds me of the baby scene at the start when they find him and they're like oh so cute and then she goes over to the mountainside and throws him off a goodbye it's exactly the same fucking vibes as this scene so yeah sophie obviously tells her um a lot of the information that she wants to know and in the last scene that we get um bill is we can't we still haven't seen bill's face um but we have bill and he's holding sophie And he's like, oh, my my dear Sophie, look what she has done to you. And um, we think, you know, okay, we're going to go off into number two. She's just going to kill the rest. But then he says, is the bride aware that her daughter is still alive? And then we end the film. And what an ending that film had. Oh, my God. I feel so sorry for people that had to wait for this next film to come out. Me, on the other hand, I was so young when this movie came out. God, I would have been 2004, been about seven, seven, I think. But I remember my dad rented it and it was sitting on top of the bar that we had in our old house and I always used to look at it. And then I got to age 12 or 13, I think it was 13, and went to the DVD shop and picked up. Kill Bill, and just thought, oh, it just looks like a fun film, and was absolutely blown away. I think I watched. Oh, I, I got the second one the next day. That's right. Um, I went back to the DVD place. I was like, I gotta get the second one. And I think I just watched them over and over and over and over and over. If any time Kill Bill is on, I will fucking sit down and watch the whole movie. Like I put it on last night. Seen it so so many times, and still. I have such a ball watching it. I don't know what it is about it. I don't know if it's the music, the way it's put together, but the the feeling that I get from it is just so empowering. Um I always think to myself if I'm struggling with with anything in life, what would what would the bride do? And and if she if she can get through all those people, I can do anything. So, uh she's definitely one of my role models. She's right up there. Um, I think I left out a huge chunk uh, when she was in the coma and Ally Driver tries to kill her. Um, but if you've seen the movie, you know what's up. Um, L Driver is in the second one a lot, which Ebbs will go through that whole thing with Ellie and everything with Bud and everything with our man Bill. Um, we, we find out a lot about Bill in the second one. Um yeah, if you haven't seen this movie, go go watch Kill Bill and then do yourself a favor, go listen to the soundtrack because it's absolutely marvelous. Um I've got them both on CD. I'm old school. I've got them both on CD. Um the music is also done by The RZA from Wu Tang. Wu Tang. So if you're huge on on any genre really, you'll fucking love this soundtrack. It's just very 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 well done. Um so with that, I will throw it over to my home girl, my sister from another mister, Miss Ebony. But thank you so much for tuning in and um, I will be with her next week. So we will be back to the Gruesome Twosome movie reviewsome and I can't wait to see her. Um, But yeah, we've got lots in store for you guys. Thank you so much for listening. I love you so much and I will see you on the flip side. Bye.